Hello and welcome to another episode of Intern Insights. Um, I'm Connor Allen, here as always with Zane Frasick. Today we're going to be uh, going over a dividend portfolio. Um, we're going to be talking about some dividend companies that we like ourselves. And then we're going to be talking about what we look for in dividend stocks, why would you buy them, um, and just kind of everything dividends. So let's go ahead and dive into it. So first off, um, the reason that we decided to do this episode in the first place was earlier this week, you know, I got the notification on my phone that Microsoft was doing a $60 billion stock buyback, as well as doing an 11% increase in their dividends, which raised them to 62 cents a share. Um, so this obviously caught my eye, you know, Microsoft with a massive dividend increase. Um, and the reason for this um, well, this is speculation, but the reason for this is a lot of these tech companies like Microsoft, like Apple, over the last 18 months, um, they've been able to build up a very large cash position. Dividends come from a cash position from a company. So do stock uh, buybacks. So this could possibly be why they can afford to do this. It might be something that we see um, coming out of other, um, you know, big tech companies like Microsoft, like Apple um, in the future. So it will be something to look at over, you know, the course of the next year. Yeah, what's, what's even more interesting than the increase in dividends to me, which is pretty powerful, is the $60 billion stock buyback. I mean, you can go out and acquire a $60 billion company that I'm sure you can find one that would add some value to Microsoft, but maybe not. Maybe they did their, uh, their NPV analysis, their finance department came back and said, there's no, there's no better use for this. So there's no better company than ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> keep investing in Microsoft, which hey, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it it is a. I mean, the company's what a trillion dollar market cap right now. I think it's probably over one and a half trillion by now. Okay, gotcha. It maybe even be two. I can't. I can't remember. They all get so big these days. I yeah. <laughs> I can't keep up with all of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, that is a significant chunk of 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 uh, their company, no matter you know what size it is. So yeah. And it's funny, I was just talking to the tech sector in my investment club, and I was like, hey, what are you guys planning for this year? Like, we have a pitch coming up. What are you guys thinking? Uh, and they were like, we're just, we're laying back. Valuations are so high, like, they can't get any of their models to make any sense. They're like, we're better off just kind of holding what we have. They're like, it's good to be in tech, but it's hard to get into it, is the way that they said it. So Interesting. That is very interesting. So... Um, let's go into a little bit about our philosophy. So personally, um, I think that dividend stocks can be a little risky. Um, this isn't something that most people would typically think. They would be like, what are you talking about? Dividend stocks are supposed to be safe, you know, supposed to be retirement income, that sort of thing. Well, a lot of times when you're looking for good dividend stocks, what catches your eye is not the company, it's not the fundamentals, but it's the yield that you're looking at. So you're like, hey, this company pays six, 7% yield. This is pretty good. I, I know what six, 7% could do for me for my income. Um, what you're not looking at is basically, uh, basically what, you're, what you're fighting here is a shareholder payout versus a dividend payout. And the shareholder payout is basically what do you get from owning the stock um, appreciation and dividends all together? That's shareholder payout. And that is a lot more important than just your dividend yield that you're getting. So a lot of times people think, oh, if I put this X amount of money in here with 7%, then next year 
I will have this, this amount, you know, it doesn't matter if the stock price goes up or down. Well, what if that stock price <laughs> goes down a lot, then you're, then you're struggling there. And then that principle goes way down and you won't make nearly as much the next year. So that's something, you know, that I think about a little bit. Yeah. I, I remember my freshman year internship, I was looking at a bunch of dividend stocks for some clients' portfolios. The one thing that a lot of them had in common is, well, they had high Morningstar ratings because they love their like safer dividend companies, but they also were trending down um, in their stock price over the past five, 10 years even. Um, so it's just kind of, it's that weighing game of how much do I want to take in a dividend versus the risk of the company going down because the reality is if you're in the phase of paying out dividends, you're returning capital to the investors. You take in a lot and then you're self, early on and then you're self-funding kind of in the middle of your company life cycle. But at the end, I mean, you start paying that money back out as you're kind of a cash cow business. You don't really have any like products that are stars in the market maybe, or your growth rate is slowed a lot. Um, yeah, it just kind of that weighing game, you know, what, what are you going to take for sure? And what do you think the, the market's going to do? And then we also wanted to talk about dividend aristocrats as well. The only stock that comes to mind when I think about dividend aristocrats is Caterpillar. Every time it's like ingrained in my mind for some reason. These are companies that, correct me if I'm wrong, that have increased their dividend consecutively for, what is it, 10 years? 25. 25, 25 years. years. That's a pretty elite group. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely something that you want to see. You always want to see at least some increases in dividends, whether that's, you know, five, 10 years. But if you find a dividend aristocrat that has share appreciation as, as well as dividend um, increases consecutively over the past 25 years, it's probably something that's going to um, treat you pretty well in the long run. Um, so that's something that you want to see. You want to see a company like when you're, when you're trying to find a dividend company, you want to see some management focus on raising that dividend um, that comes through building a large cash position, being able to pay out that dividend every single year um, and being able to increase it every single year, um, no matter how small that might be. Like even the, the best things to look for is if it's a say, say it's a company in a cyclical industry. Um, and they're in a downturn of that cycle. So they're not doing as well this time of year, but if they can still increase that dividend, you know, that's, that shows you that management, you know, is focused towards that. Um, it could also be a problem um, if companies are too focused on raising their dividends and put themselves in a bad financial pick their position. Um, so you kind of got to zoom back and look at the full picture, um, make sure that management is doing it for the right reasons, trying to benefit shareholders, not putting their company in a bad position. Position. Um, that's that's what you're really looking for when you're looking for a dividend stock. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you said that because when you were talking about how management gets focused in on that dividend, I wanted to say that can be a bad thing for sure. Um, if that's all you care about is raising that, what you're paying. Um, and then the other thing is kind of where dividends can be a trap. I was thinking if the share price starts to go down, that dividend yield starts to look really attractive because it's in relation to how much you're paying for the share. So if that goes down uh, and the, the bottom number, the divisor is staying the same, um, the equation is gonna make the dividend look really appealing for a stock that might really be struggling um, and actually have to reduce their yield um, in subsequent quarters. So 
Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people think that, oh, it's a 4% yield. That doesn't change. The company bases off of the percentage. That's not actually true. They say Microsoft says, hey, we're paying 62 cents for every share that you own. Um, and that's how dividends are paid out, which a lot of yeah. people confuse the two. Yeah. Um, so dividends kind of has a weird, they have a weird time horizon for me because you can't really go into a dividend stock investment thinking, okay, maybe next quarter they won't pay any dividend you know, cause you wouldn't, you'd be like, why did I buy this company then? If that's mm-hmm. why you wanted that income. But if you're in it for the capital gains appreciation, I guess the analogy there is, okay, what if, you know, they don't pay a dividend, but their stock price goes down 50% or 70% in the next year. What are you going to do? I feel like if you buy it for that long-term capital appreciation, I'd be more willing to kind of stick with it and believe in the company rather than if I'm just buying it for the income, I'm like, hey, I can go find this income somewhere else, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's important that you have a long-term mindset with whether you're growth investing, dividend investing, um, value investing. You always have to take that mindset of my horizons five plus years down the road. And I think that will benefit you greatly, um, no matter what you know philosophy or strategy you're using um, to buy stocks. Um, and so obviously, like I said, um, just want to reemphasize this. When you're looking at good dividend companies, you're looking for good earnings growth. You're looking for a strong cash position and you're looking for strong free cash flow because their dividends are paid from the cash position. I can't stress that, that enough. Um, and then lastly, you mean you I don't just, want to take out debt to pay dividends. No, no, Come you on. don't want to. <laughs> definitely not. Um, But lastly, I just want to talk about something that might be relevant right now to investors, and that's um, the problem with fixed income. So I was listening to um, Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson talk about this on Animal Spirits earlier this week, and they were mentioning that a mutual fund, or it was an annuity company, and annuities are supposed to be very safe, um, and it was supposed to be a replacement for fixed income. Like That was in the title of the annuity that they were selling, and they were they were talking about what specifically they were doing. And they was talking about different SPAC strategies that they were using for a fixed income annuity. And you're thinking, come on now, like that's, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, So obviously fixed income is in a crazy spot right now. If you've got annuity companies trying to replace it with a SPAC strategy um, to provide some sort of fixed income for investors. So, and the reason for that is because rates are so low as everybody knows, um, and there's a chance that they could go lower. So uh, bond prices are, n- nobody wants to buy bonds right now. I think you've got a lot of investors that are you know, older in their 50s or 60s that are way overexposed to equities or not even overexposed, but you know, they're in way more equities than they would like to be um, because of bonds. And so maybe dividends would be a good idea. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Which are, which are equities too. So I, I mean, I don't even know if it's, if it would work that well, but. Yeah. I, I suppose if it de-risks your portfolio a little bit, kind of the way that that fixed income would, uh, but it's tough to tell, especially because, you know, in a market downturn, fixed income is going to pay you what they say they're going to pay you. Well, whereas, you know, a company paying you a dividend has no obligation to pay what they just paid last quarter. They can do whatever they want. So maybe it doesn't uh, de-risk it quite so much. Um, but I was, I was just thinking like, I don't know if I'd ever really buy 
well, I wouldn't really buy dividend stocks at the moment as it is um, in general. But I think going forward, if I do get into that, I'd have to find something that is going to have capital appreciation and going to have a, a dividend. You know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, you know, 1%, less than 1%, um, just because I just don't want to be buying a company on the decline. It just does not sit well with me. Like, you know, how long is that dividend going to last if they're paying all this money back out, if their sales are slowing, things like that? Exactly. For, for me, typically I'm like, hey, if I get a dividend from my company, great. It's just bonus. Like I'm not looking for that when I'm buying yeah. a stock. It, all it is, it's just a bonus for me. Yeah. Um, but in the future, we may do this and some of our listeners may be dividend investors themselves. So um, this is my page, uh, my favorite dividend investments. So the first one I'm going to do is Southern Company. Southern Company works in the Southeast of the United States. They provide Georgia Power, Alabama Power. They own basically every single dam on the Tallapoosa River in Alabama. Um, they, it's, it's a ridiculously huge and large company. Um, and they have been increasing dividends since, um, golly, I, I can't remember what the year was. Um, I should have that written down. But they've increased their dividends for a long period of time. Um, and they're a fantastic company. They've had a lot of share appreciation as well. So it's kind of a good company. Um, you know, to own not only just for the dividend, but the dividend is a bonus for the good company that it is. Um, must be a little biased. <laughs> I might be, as, I might be a little as biased. a customer. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Down here in the <laughs> South in Georgia. Um, and then some other ones that I'm uh, that I want to talk about is Microsoft and Apple. I know we, we briefly touched on Microsoft, um, Apple, same sort of thing over the last 18 months, building cash, um, don't know what to do with it. Let's raise the dividend. Uh, that's a good thing for them to do. Could be seeing that in the future. Um, and also they're just fantastic companies. That's the main thing you want to see when you're investing in, uh, in dividend stocks is, do I like the company? And if you like the company, great, invest in it. And the dividend is a bonus. Like that's, that's really kind of what you need to be thinking. And obviously you can, you know, bank on that dividend increase if they've had a history of it, which would be nice, but you definitely want a strong, you know, underlying business that you're investing in, you're not just buying the dividend like Zane was saying. Um, and then another one, which I've got this chart over here is SPY, S&P 500. Um, you can look here at this chart for those of you on YouTube, and I'll tell you uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Um, but basically, uh, for the period of 1989 to 2017, if you were to put $10,000 in the S&P 500 in 1989 and then take it out in 2017, without reinvesting your dividends, you would be looking at around $95,000. So you're 9xing your money. Not too bad, right? Well, uh, with dividends, then you're going to have $186,000. So it's it's double what you would make, um, you know, if you didn't reinvest dividends, which shows you how important they are. Um, S&P 500 can be a great dividend, uh, you know, investment for you, as long as you're just reinvesting them. It's very important that you do that. And that's another thing we can talk about is dividend reinvestments, because it's not like you've got to take them out for income. You know, you can definitely reinvest them in those companies, and then it helps 
um, you, you know, develop more shares of that company um, and it helps your investment in the long run. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Philip Morris. Philip Morris, you know, I wasn't too high on. I actually was on a podcast for Motley Fool. Um, this was probably a couple months ago. Um, and basically, I just talked bad about Philip Morris the entire time. And I got to say, I've changed my mind a little bit on them. Um, it's been a good investment for investors. It really has. And Philip Morris, for those of you who don't know, they make Marlboro cigarettes, um, basically every you know tobacco product you can think of, um, which things are obviously changing in that industry. So I'm looking at it on a long-term basis, like, okay, maybe not, but I think that they can have a company shift into something else. I know that there's, you know, other forms of nicotine that people are looking to get into besides tobacco. And I think Philip Morris can make that transition rather easily um, because of their distribution network that they have um, for all of their tobacco products. So it will be interesting to see and, and talk a little bit about their dividends since that's what we're talking about. Um, they broke off from Altria back in 2008. Um, they separated. And then since 2008, they've increased their dividend every single year consecutively. Um, so that's very good to see. Their share has also appreciated a bunch in the past, you know, since they split off with Altria. It's been a very good investment for investors. Um, and it, I, I, I really do think it will be in the future. I don't know if it will be, I don't know if it'll be a market beater, um, but I think it will be a good investment for sure. So has your opinion changed on like what the company does? Because I remember um, on the podcast, you were kind of talking about like, it's a bit hypocritical that they're talking about, you know, I don't know, trying to do what's best for consumers. I forget the specifics of it uh, while they're, you know, selling cigarettes, things that are known to have some negative effects. They were, they were trying to move into um, inhalable medicine. That's what um, <laughs> Yes, they were trying to move into inhalable medicine. And quite frankly, I don't think that's going to work well for them. But I don't think the shift um, to, and there's a phrase for, uh, it's, it's a new subsector um, for a new type of, nicotine that people are going to be getting, um, you know, whether that's vaping, whether that's, you know, I don't know, um, <laughs> any, any sort of things. Um, some, uh, Philip Morris t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you know, I think that they can make that switch, um, successfully. I don't think it's the hardest thing for them to do. Um, I know that my, my opinion of them has changed a little bit, but that's what this is all about. So. Yeah, I uh, was thinking about Microsoft a little bit too, and I was going to ask what your thoughts on their their suite of Excel, Access, and Word. It boggles my mind how that is still the go-to for everyone. Like that is just the gold standard, still so widely used and so entrenched. I mean, there's companies like MongoDB that are kind of going after um, Excel. But just that suite alone is something I would probably bank on for the dividend investments. But yeah. like beyond that, like they have those kind of cash cow products, but beyond that, you know, they're moving into the cloud and all these other kind of things that they're doing. So I, I agree with you on that one. I think that would be a really good dividend investment. Yeah. And I, I believe that they're increasing their Microsoft Office um, prices that they've had. So that will be something that will bring in more cash for them as well. I know that they had a short you know, stock jump on the day they announced that. Uh, Cause I think it's 15 bucks a year or maybe it's a month. I can't remember, but office is relatively cheap. 
um, for people who want to use it. And yeah, like what you're saying, like Google's tried to create Google Sheets. Who uses Google Sheets? Not me. I don't use it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think I don't think many people do. So Excel is definitely one of those things keeping keeping consumers with Microsoft. I just wonder how much is left for them to update. It's like, you know, it's like the new Apple, the new iPhone release. You know, it's like, what's left? What are you going to do? Oh, we added three pixels to the camera. It's drone shots and this insane uh, cinematography to show it off. You know what we need? We need like Apple to come out with something. You know what I would love to see from Apple? I would love Apple to come out with a new iPhone and instead of trying to make the camera better, why don't you just like create a small little drone and put it in the iPhone and you can just deploy it and then go take cam videos or something. That would be something that would get me to watch the <laughs> Apple event or maybe, you know, something like, I don't know, like I need something from Star Wars, you know, where the blue thing just shows right there and then you can just look at people. And that <laughs> would be cool. Something, something interesting. And Apple engineers, if you're listening, get on that. <laughs> they would figure it out, I bet. That's what I'm saying. You've got the smartest people in the world. Come up with something a little bit new. Doesn't yeah. it can't be that hard? Well, it's yeah. probably can, but stop, stop paying dividends, make something new. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to mine. So like I was saying, like as the resident energy and utilities guy, I had to throw two utilities on there for my top two. Well, I don't know about top two, but my first two dividend investments that came to mind. Uh, I've seen Next Era Energy listed as one of the best retirement stocks to own for the reason that they're growing so well. Um, it's in such a safe haven industry in the utility sector. Um, and also they, they pay a pretty sizable dividend and I believe they've been increasing it uh, consistently as well. So you're just kind of it's kind of like a triple whammy, you know, not very risky capital appreciation and dividend. Uh, they're mostly based in Florida. Uh, they just acquired Florida Power and Light pretty recently. Uh, Gulf Power is another acquisition. They also have um, all kinds of energy assets throughout the U.S. And they are the largest uh, by market cap um, utility in the U.S. and the largest renewable energy company in the entire world. By market. Really? So, so do yeah. they do they do? Is it utilities, and then they have renewables on the side, or is renewables their utilities? Yeah, it's it's all integrated, as far as I know. So basically, they'll go out and invest in like a wind farm or a solar farm or some kind of like cleaner natural gas. Um, and the reason I picked them is their strategy was just kind of ahead of its time. Everyone else waits to the last possible minute to make a change like this. They're like, okay, well, now investors are demanding this. It's finally cheaper to switch to renewable energy. So I guess we'll do it. Um, it's the same thing with electric vehicles that we're seeing. But I think the companies that get on that early, I guess Tesla would be the comparison in the EV space, next era in utilities. They got on the renewable energy uh, wave super early, committed super hard. Um, and I think they're going to be rewarded for that because they're cost of generation is going to be low. They have a ton of customers. Um, they, and I think they're really rewarded by shareholders for that. And their stock has performed really well. Full disclosure, we do own this in the investment club that I'm in. Um, we've owned them for a while as like a legacy holding because they've done so well for us. Yeah, I know. So, so I know utility companies in general are typically a pretty safe investment because they have contracts with the government that mm -hmm. span from anywhere from, you know, 
20 to 50 years. And so if you look at when these contracts started, a lot of times you can find it. it and also it's a very difficult space to break into. It's not like anyone can go start a utilities company and the next day, you know, start competing with next era. No, like that's not going to happen. It, no. it, it takes a lot more than that. For reference. Yeah. Once let's say you get through all the regulation, which is going to be a pain just in and of itself. It's about $2 billion for your average 600 megawatt coal power plant. And that's like pretty much the cheapest way you can get into power generation. Um, unless you're going to just, you know, put a solar power or a solar panel on your roof and call yourself a utility, which I guess I think is the future. But anyway, for the next utility, we have Pinnacle West Capital. If you've never heard of Next Era, you definitely haven't heard of Pinnacle West Capital unless you live. I haven't heard of either of these. So this is interesting. <laughs> there you go. Unless you've heard, unless you live in Arizona, because they are the biggest utility in Arizona. Uh, they own Arizona uh, Public Service, which is like the biggest provider there, as well as a bunch of different subsidiaries. Um, they are what I would define as a multi-utility because they generate power with so many different assets. Like they can do natural gas, coal, they just invested in more wind, solar. Um, and fun fact, to just round it all off, they are, I think a 30% owner in the largest nuclear uh, reactor or generator in the entire US. It's called the Palo Verde factory. Interesting. Or power plant. So they have exposure all over the place, which I think kind of makes them safe. They're pushing for renewables, which I like to see. Their dividend is really good. Utilities pay usually 3% dividend um, on average. These guys are about a percent over that, paying 4%. Um, and it's been consistently increasing as their earnings have been increasing. Um, and it's also worth noting around them, it's mostly a lot of co-ops, like you know these smaller um, utilities that provide power for a smaller area because everyone can pitch in and do that. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of ways to expand. Um, and the population of Arizona is just taking off. Like people might ask, why am I investing in Arizona specifically? It's because they're so concentrated. Housing is increasing um, faster than I think every state in the U.S. except for maybe one. I think, my, I, think my I think Texas is, the, I think Texas is the number one growing state in the U.S. and then Arizona is shortly after. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a huge boon because as they're so entrenched already, they're just going to be adding to their rate bases, uh, adding to their customers. And, um, you know, they have 1.3 million customers, I think now, um, I think you're just going to see a lot of growth moving forward with these guys. Yeah. And another, one thing I want to add to that is if you're talking about ESG investing and like people's values, like if you're trying to implement your own values into the companies that you invest in, um, I know a lot of people love nuclear energy and I think that's the way to move forward. I'm actually a believer in nuclear energy as well. I think it'd be a fantastic move forward. I hope our government does something about it. We'll see if it does. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it could be a great, like I know people talk about renewable energies, you know, electric all the time. But I think that nuclear power is a fantastic way to, to do that. Um, so this, you know, could be one of those ESG investments if you are, you know, a nuclear power believer, I guess. Yeah, I, most of their generation capacity is in nuclear. I think it's like 35%. So they're really invested in it. Um, and I think it's going to pay off. It's just such an efficient way to get energy. But the problem is, you know, if you're pitching the stock, do you think of nuclear as a risk? 
maybe there's a small chance there could be a meltdown or something. Um, but, and like public perception is just pretty, pretty bad sometimes, but Mm -hmm. I personally think of it as a huge thesis point and a reason to invest in the company. Um, so Pinnacle West between their roughly 4% dividend, I think they're going to be able to grow their earnings, um, or between their earnings growth and their multiple expansion that I think we're going to see, I think you can get about a 10% return a year on this relatively safe investment. You know, matching the market with a utility is not a bad way to go. Um, I, I think it's definitely worth a look if you're going down that in that dividend investment route. For sure. Yeah. And then more on the tech side, I love Visa and MasterCard. It's, it's weird because these are kind of innovative uh, companies with just massive market share, but I'm, I'm just such a long-term thinker. I'm already worried about disruption. So I'm already thinking, you know, when is Square going to take over? When is the black <laughs> technology going to take over? Or are they going to integrate it in? So I think- yeah, it, used to be, it used to be that Visa and MasterCard were like the staples in the war on cash. Like everyone was talking about the war yeah. on cash. Visa and MasterCard are the front runners. Now everyone's worried about Visa and MasterCard. So yeah, now they are cash basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but- um. Don't pay a huge dividend to either of them, which is okay. Um, I think my caveat here is, hey, if they're investing for the future, getting into new kinds of technologies, um, it's going to be okay and they won't be destroyed by decentralized finance as much. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, I think this is a pretty solid investment. Their stocks have performed amazing for investors. Um, and then lastly, I have applied materials. This is a pick kind of a picks and shovels play for the semiconductors um, shortage that we have now. Prices are going to go up a lot. There's a lot of demand. I think they can make a killing. So what these guys do, if you don't know, is they don't, in semiconductors, they don't run like a fab. They don't run an actual production facility for semiconductors. They make the machines that make the semiconductors. So say um, Taiwan Semiconductor, Uh, or Intel wants to make some of their own chips. They could order it from applied materials. They would send it to one of their fabs. There you go. Um, I think it's just, again, another industry that is just here to stay. Um, We're always going to need semiconductors more and more. They're going to be more and more powerful. And we already see the effects um, of a shortage. So I think in the short term, going to be a great investment in the long term i think they'll be able to raise their dividend and keep making the shareholders happy yeah could just be a growth play honestly yeah it really could be and you know kind of with the bonus dividend that's why i threw it in here yeah exactly so lastly we just want to go over uh the tweet of the week that i found this week um zane i know you'll love it because houston we have liftoff, according to at Eric Markowitz, um, that I, I saw this on Twitter that he tweeted. And basically the picture for those of you who are listening in on Apple or Spotify, um, it's talking about the S-curve and how electric vehicles, their share of car sales are just skyrocketing right now. Um, so Zane, tell me a little bit about uh, a little bit about it. And I got to get a Twitter. I keep saying it. I keep saying it. <laughs> send me this stuff. And I'm like, I need to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not that surprising for me. It's kind of uh, what I expected, but 
I don't, I don't know if how many people were really modeling this kind of adoption. I mean, and I mean, I'm not surprised in uh, Germany, we see the highest level of adoption at, what is that? 22% yeah. of car sales. Absolutely which is, insane. Which is just crazy. And there are people out there who will forecast, oh, you know, 50% of cars sold will be EVs in 2030. You know, there's those kind of predictions and also some kind of government mandates as well, trying to get to that point. But I just think that's almost crazy uh, conservative because if you're already seeing, what are we at in the U.S.? Uh, we it, does, it doesn't have the U.S. on here. This is, yeah, sadly yeah, not. But if in developed nations, we're already seeing upwards of 22%, even on the low end here, we have about 7.5% of car sales, EVs. Um, That's in Italy. They ride boats everywhere there, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they don't even need them. They're buying them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, it's only going to accelerate, I think, from here. People have recognized the advantages. Costs are going to come down. It's a wrap. It's a wrap for ICE vehicles. I, I really, I really do think it is. I think the next year or two is going to just 100% prove that electric vehicles are going to make up around half of car sales a lot quicker than we think. Um, I think a lot of people have said for a long time, you know, oh, this is, this is going to be in the future. You know, they keep thinking, oh, 10 years away, oh, 10 years away. And then I think we're here. I think it's, I think it's now. Yeah. So we're watching this adoption happen in real time and it's exciting. I love to see it. The, the crazy thing about the S-curve is if you zoom in early on, you know, 2012, 2014, 2016 even, it looks linear. It doesn't look exponential because it's so early on. But if you can realize, you know, going from one to 2% and then two to 4%, you know, it looks small, but it is, if you zoom in, it's exponential. Um, and that trend looks like it's going to continue. And it's something that a lot of people missed, I think. Uh, but I think it'll be pretty obvious soon enough. Yeah. As I, I hope Tesla can release their cyber truck in, yeah. in some time soon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll you know, see. It's tough. It's tough for me because I love electric vehicles and I wanted to get out there. So I saw Rivian releasing their R1T. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we talked, their, their valuation is still insane at $80 billion, but they did come to market with vehicle for customers. Um, so on one hand, I'm like, this is awesome for the industry. On the other hand, I'm like, man, come on. I wanted Tesla to be the first. Yeah, I know. And they were supposed to be, and I think even Ford's going to beat them. I think Ford's going to beat them. I think Rivian, well, we, we pretty much know Rivian is. When, is, um, when is Ford supposed to come out? Is that Ford's supposed to come out this year. This year, wow. This year. So um, we'll see if that happens. Um, but, you know, typically you have companies like uh, Tesla who are over-promise, under-deliver. And then you have companies like Ford who are, you know, under-promise, over-deliver. And so, you know, you can take what you want. What do you like? Do you like the under promise or the over promise? You know, I like the under promise, but I still love like the cyber truck is so cool. Like okay. <laughs> I, I, lo I loved when, um, when Elon was on, who was he with? He was riding around in the, in the cyber truck. Do you know who I'm talking about? Jay Leno, maybe Jay Leno. Yes. Yeah. He's riding around with Jay Leno and Jay turned and he looked at him and he was like, so bulletproof windows. And Elon was like, let me ask you, would you rather have a car with bulletproof windows or without bulletproof windows? And he was like, well, I suppose I take them with bulletproof windows. So it's just cool. 
it sounds unnecessary, but like the design is just awesome, you know? Bulletproof mm-hmm. windows, they don't even paint the thing, which makes it look cool. They don't even do so, like so many of the curves and the stamping aren't even there. It's, I think it's going to be such a cheap vehicle to make yet so much value. I just, I love yeah. that. That's actually what's keeping them from releasing the Cybertruck is their factories. They're not able to build the cars correctly because it's so different than anything that they've built. Um, and like the sheets of steel that they're using are, you know, it's, it's really difficult to put those together. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're on the, the subject of EVs, I have to ask you, did you hear about the electric vehicle bill? Or- um, so I, I briefly, like, I, I think I saw something on my phone pop up about it, but tell me about it. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been kind of rattled about it recently. I'll be honest, because what's happened is I think there's a lot of lobbying that goes on uh, and influences policy decisions. Basically, this bill is providing a set amount of money, I think it's like $500 to electric vehicles if it's made in the US, makes sense. And then there's another, however much money, um, if like 50% of the parts are from the US, great. I think it's like 6,000, call it something like that. Then there's $4,500 that's added on top if it's made in a UAW, so United Auto Workers, like union factory. I think Tesla is like one of the only you know, non-unionized factories. No. So, I mean, and you know how this happens. And I mean, this is obviously what I, what I think, but Ford GM, their unions donate a lot of money to democratic campaigns. Now we have a uh, democratic administration. So it kind of makes sense. They're like, Hey, how are we going to get something out of this? So they're like, Oh, we'll throw a $4,500, um, credit to you guys yeah. that, you know only a couple of other companies aren't going to get so it feels like was... instead of instead of benefiting the successful companies we're just giving everyone a gold sticker we're like oh yeah here we'll help you out we'll help you out yeah if i was if i was elon musk i'd probably just start tweeting bad things about ford stock and just watch them panic as it fell <laughs> five ten percent <laughs> But yeah, that sucks. I mean, I, I really do. I, I admire Elon and I admire Tesla for what they've done. And it would be a shame. It really would be a shame if like this derailed some of their, you know, future, you know, success that they that they will have. Yeah, I think with or without it, they'll still do well. I mean, in other Elon news, they just sent civilians to space and in, in orbit for the first time. <laughs> yeah. so that was awesome to watch. <laughs> yeah, Ford's Ford CEO didn't send civilians to <laughs> to space, so I'm not buying a Ford. Not yet. She just has to be like an elite billionaire. Like once you hit over a hundred billion, then you start sending rockets in the space. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's what it takes. Yeah, that's what it takes. So, well, I think that concludes this episode of Intern Insights. So for all of those listening and watching, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I hope that we will see you guys again next week.